Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for giving us a dry day today, a day without snow. We thank you for giving us this place that we can gather together, pour out our praise and our thanks, give back to you, hear from your word, read your word, talk to you in prayer, fellowship with one another through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all these many things that you've given to us. We thank you for your word, that even when we go through difficult, trying, painful experiences and seasons, we can always turn, turn to it for your truth, your peace, and your comfort. We pray that your spirit would go forth, work in our hearts as we take a look at your word once again, and that we'd walk out of here a little bit different than when we came in. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about marching into the new year with the boldness, strength, and power that only the Holy Spirit as our commander can give to us as we follow what he wants us to do. He gives us the strength and power to keep going and not give up, especially when we're weary and doing good for God's kingdom. This week, we've moved into the new year some. Uh, we're piggybacking a little bit on that overall message that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but focusing on the courage now that God gives us to accomplish his mission. When it comes to doing things for God, nothing short than the courage that only he can give us will be truly effective for his, miss for his mission. Sometimes you want nothing more than to run away from a situation you know God has placed you in, in order to be an example of his love and to share his message. But God has given each of us a specific mission, and all of that falls under his great commission. So what do we do, especially when God calls us to a difficult situation for his gospel? And especially when the persecution towards us as believers in Jesus and us sharing the gospel message in the love and truth of Jesus starts getting more and more intense. It's good for us to know now this emboldening truth before the persecution starts getting bad and really bad. So, if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 2. We read uh, some of these verses already, uh, but, uh, and if you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, we open this up with, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. In these days that Paul is writing in, there were philosophers who went around giving good speeches, but living immoral lives. Either there were some in Thessalonica who were trying to lead the believers there to think that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was merely one of those fake philosophers, or Paul was cutting off any rumor that he was at the pass. It's sort of when a, a Christian leader makes a name for him or herself by giving good speeches, but they give Christianity a bad name by the way they live their lives. 
Paul is distancing himself from those who either claim to be Christians or were just pagan Greek philosophers who were being lopped into the same group as Paul in people's minds. That's why Paul reiterates this by saying in verse 3, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Other philosophers were known to be impure and immoral, but still deceiving others by their cunning logic and well-thought-out words. But Paul wanted to show the Thessalonians that he wasn't any of that. He wasn't relying on anything he could do or say. He relied simply and wholly on the power of God. So Paul gives evidence that he is the real deal by firstly telling the Thessalonians to look at themselves. Paul's message wasn't just some pie-in-the-sky, feel-good words. They were filled with the very power of God. The Thessalonians could see that they were filled with the power of God by looking at the way the power of God in those words had already changed their lives. They hadn't just added the God of the Bible to their lives right alongside of their other gods and nothing really had changed. The other gods worshipped in Thessalonica, Zeus, Aphrodite, Dionysus, the Egyptian goddess Isis, and Thessalonica's patron deity, known as Cabrius, were no different than they were. In fact, a lot of these other gods in their mythology behaved worse than the general human being. The Thessalonian believers also hadn't heard Paul as a well-spoken philosopher, spouting profound sayings and nice bumper sticker messages that also didn't have anything, have anything to do with the way that they lived their lives. A lot of people today are fine to settle for those types of things without any of it actually affecting their everyday lives. Paul brought something real. Paul brought life change. And that was the message of surrendering to God through Jesus and receiving life in every sense of the word. Their lives were not changed because Paul somehow convinced them, or because of Paul's oratory skill, nor some kind of magic show. Their lives, that we all know this, this is not how humans' lives are changed. Their lives were changed simply because of the power of God and nothing else. Oftentimes, even we as believers will nod at the concept of the power of God changing lives, but not really looking at how the power of God is changing our lives. We like the stories of the Bible where water splits in two, walls come crashing down, food is multiplied, and Jesus rises from the dead, but we don't think about that same power being at work today. Now, you may never see oil and flour never running out, but you can see the same power that did that at work changing things in your heart. You can see that power releasing chains of darkness and anxiety. You can see that power changing marriage and familial relationships and friendships. You can see that power meet your needs in miraculous ways. And one major change you can see in your life by the work and power of God is the infusing of courage into your life. And guess what? 
doesn't come by way of sitting around. It doesn't come by way of never being stretched, never being changed, never being taken out of your comfort zone. It never comes that way. That's how we want it to come, but that's never the way it actually comes. We want change, but we never want to change. If we want change in our lives with healing, transformation, and courage, guess what? We have to put ourselves into situations where we're stretched, where it's not comfortable, where it's painful. We have to allow ourselves to be humbled. We have to allow ourselves to be misunderstood. And even, dare I say, suffer. That's the second evidence that Paul gives for his, for his authenticity in verse 2. But after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. See, Paul says, there are a bunch of people going around saying things that sound nice, but have they really given themselves up for their message? Have they really subjected themselves to the same life-changing power of the message of the gospel that they're preaching? There was a term we used in high school for kids who dressed the part of a certain clique of kids but didn't really live the lifestyle. What was that term? Posers. Who was that? If you dressed like a certain clique, you better act like that certain clique was the mentality. Paul is telling the Thessalonians, not only did I come preaching the message, you saw how that had worked out for me in Philippi, and yet I preached the very same message to you. Now what happened in Philippi that Paul's directly referencing here? Let's piece together the events that happened shortly before Paul entered Thessalonica. Those of you who are sitting in the back are now regretting sitting in the back. During Paul's second missionary journey after they passed through Galatia here, uh, these cities over here, and having been prevented by God to go to a couple different places, they ended up in the port city of Troas over here. While they were in Troas, and this is important, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were called by God in a vision to go to the region of Macedonia, which you see this Onia over here. That's the end of the word Macedonia. After a couple of stops, they made it to Philippi, which is right there, which was a leading city in Macedonia. There are a couple of very important things to note about Philippi. After the battle of Philippi in world history, the Roman emperor reestablished Philippi as a city for Roman army veterans and made the region a Roman colony, which because of the, uh, the soldiers' service received special status under Roman jurisdiction. One of those perks was being able to govern themselves, and another was non-taxation, by the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about taxation in the Roman Empire, you know that that was a very big deal. Because of all of this, there was a great level of loyalty 
to Roman politics, but also to Roman religion. And also because of this, other religions were not really tolerated at all. No wonder Paul had to be called in a vision to go to that region. It was not a region that was even friendly to the Jewish religion because we deduce from Acts that not even enough Jewish men resided in the city of Philippi to establish a synagogue there. But God gave Paul the courage to go there, and Paul went. While they were there in Philippi, there was a servant girl who was possessed by a demon and held by her masters to give fortunes to people that they would charge lots of money to give. Paul called the demon out of the girl in the name of Jesus, which infuriated her masters because what? They now lost their primary source of income. We read, but when her masters saw that their profit of hope of profit was Suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men, Jews as they are, are causing our city trouble, and they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to practice since we are Romans. Now remember, that extreme Roman loyalty in Philippi, right? These were men who were highly loyal to the Roman cause because they had given their lives, sacrificed so much in their lives in defense and expansion of it. Any whiff of betrayal of Roman ideals was going to be met with swift aggression by the Philippian government. And so we read, The crowd joined in in an attack against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off of them and proceeded to beat in order, and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, and fastened their feet, their feet in the stocks. I don't know about you. That's enough to dishearten anyone, isn't it? You didn't even want to go to Philippi in the first place, but out of obedience, you go. Then while you're doing God's work, sharing the gospel with people there, a mob forms around you and the city authorities give the order to have you beaten nearly to death with baseball bats and thrown into the darkest, most hopeless area of the prison. And yet, even in spite of all of that, and even in spite of why they were in prison in the first place, and in spite of even further abuse by the prison warden for why you were there in the first place, what does Paul do? We read further on that he and Silas, who was with him, and we referenced this earlier in the service this morning, start singing worship songs. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The most hopeless darkest situation you're in beaten nearly to death and what do you do you start singing worship songs after an earthquake and divine power holding the prisoners back from escaping the jailer sees the courage only courage that could be given by god and asks paul and silas how he could have the same faith they had Isn't that awesome? 
The next day, the city authorities released Paul and Silas and begged them to leave the city because the authorities realized they had severely beaten legit Roman citizens. But how is Paul and Silas's faith shown? Not by the jailer simply knowing they were Christians. That was easy to figure out. Paul and Silas's faith was shown by their God-given courage. One biblical scholar pointed out that it was with the scars and scabs from the blood running down their bodies as the hard blows were raining down on them that Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, entered Thessalonica. While they were in Thessalonica, they faced more persecution with a mob intending to haul Paul, Silas, and Timothy before the, the Thessalonica's city authorities with who knows what happening to them then. But Paul and his companions narrowly escaping that. The Thessalonians could know that what Paul was telling them was the truth because they could see how much it changed Paul's life. They could see how much courage it had given to him had been given to him by God. There was no way, absolutely no way, one man would be able to go through that much torment for a message if, one, that message was not true, and two, the one whose message it was was giving the messenger the courage to share it. There was no other way. And thus, because they saw how sold out Paul was for the message he believed in and was sharing, they were convinced of its authenticity and that they should also put their faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ. Begs the very important question in our lives. Do we have that same authenticity? People look at our lives. Do we have that same authenticity? Do we have that same conviction? How much are we willing to go through for the sake of one more person hearing about the love of Christ? Are we known by others as Christians simply because they know we go to church? Post verses on social media? Or is it more than that? If we are known in our families, circles of friends and co-workers and neighborhood as believers in Jesus, there is no room for half-hearted witnesses. There's no room for it. We must be completely sold out to Christ and his message, or we'll simply be seen as hypocritical posers, just like everyone else. Being completely sold out to Christ, let's be honest here, it's scary, isn't it? Being completely sold out to Christ is Scary. That's why we need the God-given courage. But that God-given courage is not going to be given except through stretching uncomfortable, painful experiences. Remember, Paul could have very quickly seen 
how aggressively intolerant the Philippians were to even Judaism, much less Christianity, and said, nope, no thanks, go find someone else, God. He could have very easily done that. And even after everything he had gone through in Philippi, Paul could have given it all up and said, I've already paid my dues. I'm done. But he had that stretching experience in Philippi through which God gave him the courage to say, I'm moving on to Thessalonica no matter what the cost will be there. Because of that God-given courage, more people put their trust in God and a church was planted in Thessalonica. And we have two New Testament letters to that church that give us overwhelming truth about God. Courage only comes from stretching experiences and God giving it through those stretching experiences. We can never expect to get it unless we allow God to put us in those circumstances. Instead of looking for every opportunity to run away and escape being stretched, we as children of God should be running towards opportunities to be stretched so that God will give us even more courage to go the next step for his kingdom. So, brothers and sisters, pray and look for those opportunities. When God puts you in those situations, he will also supply the courage necessary in those situations to say what he wants you to say and do what he wants you to do. He's not going to put you in those situations and then say, peace, and abandon you. He will be with you in every single situation, give you the courage necessary to say what he wants you to say and do what he wants you to do. Doing nothing only aids the side of our enemy. The only way you can fail is if you do nothing. Doing nothing, all that does is aiding and abetting the enemy. Doing nothing is exactly what the enemy of our souls wants us to be doing, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Let us not be known just as people who go to church, not just as people who will make up a church called Fellowship Church, but let us be known as courageous people with courage that could only be given by God. Let us be known by those around us and those who know us as crazy people. And this is what I mean. Let us be known as people willing to do whatever God wants us to do, no matter how uncomfortable, painful, or scary it is, knowing that God will give us the courage to do it. Amen? But it starts with one act of courage, and that's the commitment to live that kind of fanatic life, sold out for his kingdom, that God calls each and every one of us to. Then ask for those stretching experiences that will grow that courage to do even more, and to see even more people give their lives to God. Those courageous moments will see more people 
give their lives to being changed by the transformative power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? It takes one more response of love instead of anger. It takes one more step of going out of your way to give a kind message of Jesus' love to someone you, who you know is going through something. It takes one less act of selfishness and one more act of selflessness. It takes one more act of saying what God has laid on your heart to say to somebody in the truth and love of Jesus. Those little responses will continue to build and build, leading to more and more courage, leading to more and more selfless actions, and more and more conversations filled with the gospel, and leading to more and more lives transformed by God. Let each of us take that very first step of asking God to give us the courage and the little things to give us more courage to have greater opportunities for his kingdom and to face those opportunities head on. Not because of any strength you might have, but fully reliant on God's courage. In his last canonical letter we have, when Paul knew he was at the end of his life and that he would soon be beheaded for his faith, the last act in a long list of intense persecution. Paul confidently reiterated to his young pastor mentee, Timothy, these words. And as we close out with these words, may we also hold fast to this truth of the Holy Spirit filling us with the same courage to be sold out for Jesus, especially in the face of persecution. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, or another, another meaning in the Greek, cowardice. But the spirit, the Holy Spirit God has given to us is one of power and of love and of discipline, or again, in the Greek, a sound mind. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Just a few verses that Paul writes down recounting what he had been through by the time he got to Thessalonica, and that in spite of all of that, being given the courage to continue sharing the gospel message, again in the face of much opposition and much persecution. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would surrender ourselves completely to you, your plan, what you have called us to do, what you want us to say, and what you want us to do with each day for the rest of our lives. Knowing that you're going to put us in different situations where it's going to be uncomfortable, we're going to be stretched, our faith is going to be stretched, it might even be painful, and we might even have to suffer for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in every single one of those situations, having the confidence of knowing that you will supply us with the courage we need to say what you want us to say, and do what you want us to do. So Lord, as we continue to go forward into this new year, I pray that we would go forth with that power, with that boldness, with that courage of the Holy Spirit. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please.